0: So part two tonight in the book of Colossians. And I've entitled this Paul's Prayer. And look, seriously, church, will 20 minutes. And uh, oh. then we'll have you away so you can get your kebab or your pizza, whatever you're getting tonight, David. <laughs> so last Sunday, we began um, our study, as I've said, in the book of Colossians. In Paul's epistle to the Colossians, um, we read together... And worked our way through chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And can I just read that again to refresh your memory? Um, for those of you if, you, if you've been looking for it online, I know there's probably been like one or two people, maybe. Um, something went wrong last week with the recording, but we did it earlier again, so if you want to watch tonight and then you can go back and watch part one after, kind of but it will be up either Monday or Tuesday, and thanks to Brother Dave Macaulay for doing that with me today. So, Colossians 1 1 to 8, if you want to read with me, if you have a Bible. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossa, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God. And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is led up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth." As he also learned of Epaphras, our dear dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, he also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Amen. And we know God blesses the reading of his word. These verses from the opening of this wonderful epistle gave us some vital information, which we covered last week, who the letter was from, who the letter was to, and we also on our journey met a man by the name of Epaphras, and Pastor Allen actually also shared about Epaphras on Wednesday night, which was great, and concerning Epaphras and the wonderful ministry that he had in serving the church, and we learned last week that Epaphras came to be a believer, came to be a Christian after hearing the Apostle Paul who was now his friend and mentor, preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in in his region's capital city, which was Ephesus. Epaphras then, as we know, went on to plant the church there in Colossae and to do a great work there for the Lord. We also learned that Paul, at this point, had not made it to Colossae, specifically to greet and minister to the saints face to face. And he called them, as we know from last week, saints, and faithful brothers and sisters. Don't forget, you're a saint. Paul had received a report from Epaphras concerning what was happening at the church in Colossae, and he felt it only right that he put pen to paper and respond and share his thoughts with the believers in this region of Phrygia in Asia Minor. You see, Paul and Timothy, who was with Epaphras in Rome, they sat down together. They sat down prayerfully, And they wrote these words of encouragement, these words of advice, and these words of thanks to the saints and faithful in Colossae. And as with many of the letters and epistles in the New Testament, what we are getting is many times, Paul's response, it's important to know this, we're getting Paul's response to the issues that were facing the particular churches at that time, the ones that he is writing to. And the big problem we face as uh, Bible students, as Bible teachers, as people who just want to understand the Word of God, is that we don't have these letters. We don't have the original correspondence that Paul received. We only have Paul's responses, so we have to do our best to work out what Paul received. When he received it, what did it contain in order for him to write the reply that he did? It's a little bit of guesswork. But thankfully, you don't have to rely on me because I can rely on a lot of other smarter scholars and commentators. And that's exactly what we have with this epistle to the believers in Colossa. We have this man, Epaphras, bringing Paul his report concerning the church, of which we have no record whatsoever. But what we do have is we have Paul's response in his compassionate and pastoral and caring letter. I spoke last Sunday evening about the radiant report that Epaphras had brought to Paul. And for the most part, I believe this report was a glowing and encouraging report. We worked our way through some of it. But I did finish last week by saying that not everything in the church was radiant. Not everything was glowing in the church at Colossae. You see, they too had their problems. Imagine that, a church with problems. Who would believe it? Eh, hey, You see, they too, like us, you might not believe it, but they too were human. They were human. They were man and woman, just like me and you. And where there are humans, church, there will be problems. If I'm there, there's going to be an issue. If you're there, I can tell you there's going to be an issue. But even though there are problems, even though there are issues, God still considers his people as saints. That is important to take home tonight. You are a saint in his eyes. So what were these problems? What precisely, what exactly was the issue here in Colossae? What was the negative part of this report that Epaphras had brought to Paul? You see, we heard a lot of positive things last week. From the pen of Paul to these faithful brothers and sisters and he did mean it with all of his heart. But as we continue to work our way through this wonderful epistle, it's important to know some context for the words that Paul writes. Can I share, just for a short time, some simple information with you about Colossae? Is that okay? So, got a little map. I know it's very hard to see, but I've got a wee pointer. I'm going to be do teacher tonight. <laughs> so, Colossae was one of three towns that sat within a short distance of each other. The towns Hierapolis and Laodicea formed this triangle of Phrygian towns in the area we we know most commonly as Asia Minor. Colossae is, as with most towns and cities at this time, in a region that's under the control and influence of the Romans. Phrygia is a Roman province, and the city of Ephesus, that's its capital, sorry, And as with most big cities and towns in the ancient, or even in our modern world, they were always built close to water. Look where Belfast is, right on the beautiful Lagan. Look at Dublin, a river running right through it. And these cities were built, these towns, sorry, were built on the banks of the Lycus River. And you can maybe see from the map, the Meander River runs from from the main body of water from the coast of Asia, right across from west to east, eventually heading north. And as it does a smaller river, the Lycus River continues right through the middle of these towns, which all sit in the beautiful Lycus River Valley. Maybe that's a bit better. So there's Colossa, there's Laodicea, there's Hierapolis. So that's your triangle of towns. There's the meander coming from the sea, which is over here, and then off breaks the Lycus River. So all these towns sat in this beautiful valley here, the Lycus River Valley. I hope that adds something to um, the story. And you can see um, you can see Ephesus in the last one, which is here. Okay, so basically this is the main map here. Ephesus is over here on the coast. Here's, Colo- here's this area here, which is kind of put up bigger for us here. Here's the Lycus River, Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae, and there's Ephesus. It's about 140 miles. So Ephesus was, the, was the, uh, the capital, obviously built as well, at the coast, at the main body of water. I hope that gives you a little bit of idea where we are in the ancient world. I like doing a little bit of geography and giving it a little bit of context, just so you know where we are in the world. And you know what? The geography is important because a place is always influenced by its culture. Any place you go to, it's influenced by its culture. And don't forget that before the Romans came to this area and set up shop, that this area was Greek. This place was previously what we would call Hellenized. It's a fancy way of saying that everything about Colossae and the surrounding region was Greek. It was Greek to the core. Greek in thought, Greek in deed, Greek in language, Greek in behavior. Colossae was Greek culturally, and this was one thing that brought the biggest issue into the church in Asia Minor. And mix the Greek, mix this Hellenistic way of life and thinking with many many Jewish uh, settlements that existed in and around Colossae. And you're going end up with quite a cocktail of beliefs and attitudes, especially when you throw this new faith that's kind of just come along Christianity into the blender along with the rest of it. And that's in a simple sense. I'm trying to make this simple tonight. I, I like it to be simple, too. That's in a simple sense, sense, what the issue at Colossa was. It wasn't that people weren't open to the good news. It wasn't that people weren't open to the gospel. They were, but it was more that they wanted to hold on to their own traditions, maybe their pagan beliefs, maybe uh, some kind of heathen superstition they already had, and just kind of add Jesus onto whatever they had before. I've been in Thailand a few times, and you find this in Thailand. The the religion there is Buddhist, but Buddhist people are are okay with accepting Jesus, but they want to serve Jesus and they want to serve Buddha at the same time. And if, and, if, and if another faith comes along, they'll want to add that on. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They kind of mix everything together. And that's the situation that Paul was writing into. Look, in a very simple sense, the people at Colossae, they were, they were happy to accept Jesus. They said, yes, that sounds great. The good news sounds amazing. But they didn't honor and worship him as supreme. They just added him on to everything else they already believe. And as we go through the rest of the letter, you will hear Paul speak a lot about three words, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And there's a reason for him doing that. You see, this Greek culture prided itself on knowledge, on thinking, on having an open mind, and considering and giving clarity to everything. They asked questions. They asked questions about their questions and asked questions about the questions that they were questioning. Does that make sense? Not that it's a bad thing to question things, but it got in the way of the gospel many of these believers were still holding on to what we call Gnosticism. And there were some who were trying to have it taught in the church. And this is the part of Epaphras' report that Paul has to respond to. It's been known through church history as the Gnostic problem or the Colossian problem. You read any commentary, you come across this thing, the Colossian problem. And this Gnostic problem, it comes from a Greek word, gnosis, which simply means knowledge. And it was knowledge It wasn't just having knowledge, church. It was knowledge in the place of faith or in addition to faith. This was the issue at Colossa, and this is the context of this letter. Am I saying Paul believed there's an issue with having or acquiring knowledge? Am I saying there's a problem with having knowledge? No, definitely not. It's good to study the Word. It's good to know things. But this Gnosticism, it promoted having knowledge to the point of not needing any faith. And the Scriptures are clear. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Amen? By faith alone in Christ alone. Faith for us is vital. It's foundational. You see, knowledge is good, but it is not everything when it comes to the gospel. Faith and knowledge can be good partners, don't get me wrong, but never one at the expense of the other and never faith at the expense of knowledge. I hope this has made sense. I really do. And I hope it gives you some understanding as to what is going on here when Paul and Timothy pen this beautiful, inspirational, compassionate epistle to the faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae. And on with the text. I've talked enough about that. Colossians 1, 9 to 10. This is where we're going to kind of camp out the rest of the night. For this cause we also... Sorry, I'm going to get a wee drink. Is everybody following me so far? Makes sense? Yes. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look, here is the the clear message from Paul and Timothy, believers. They say, we are praying for you. We know from last week that they were praying. We do not cease to pray for you. We do not stop praying for all of you. Colossian believers, we love you, we care for you, and we want what is best for you. Since the first day that we heard of the wonderful works being done in Colossae, through you and in you by the Spirit of God, we have not ceased to bring you before the Father. And this is what we are praying. This is what Paul and Timothy say we're praying for. That all of you will be full, full with the knowledge of God's will and that you will be filled with God's divine will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The New Living Translation has verse 9 like this. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. What wonderful words of compassion incur from the heart of the Apostle Paul and his friend, the young evangelist Timothy. Look at what they say. We desire, we desire a teo. We beg. Look at what this word means. We beg, we crave, we require, we call for and ask that all of you, every single believer in Jesus Christ, be full up, be filled up firstly with the knowledge of his will, filled up with the knowledge of God's will. And you know that phrase filled up, I love this. It literally means to cram a net full of stuff. Just get a big net and just fill it full or find a hollow space, like a, just a big hole in the ground and literally level it until it's perfectly fat, not perfectly fat, perfectly flat, not talking about myself tonight, perfectly fat, I like that actually, <laughs> find a big hole in the ground and fill it until it's completely filled, or grab a net, fill it full of stuff, you know, it can also mean to be supplied or to be satisfied, supplied and satisfied, and Paul and Timothy desire, they crave they require that all the saints be crammed full, leveled with, satisfied, and supplied to overflowing with the knowledge of God's will. Church, is there anything better that we can be filled with? No. You can say no. No. God's will. We can choose to be filled with many things. We can fill our lives, our minds, our hearts with many things. Let's choose to be filled with the knowledge of His will, with the epignosis. That's the word, the epignosis of God's will. That's the Greek word. You can see the Greek word from earlier, gnosis, kind of stuck on the end of it. And you know what? This is a recognition. This is a full discernment and an acknowledgement. Paul wants and desires every believer in Colossae to be able to recognize, to discern, and to acknowledge the will of God. And he wants them to be filled with it. I mean crammed full God's will, what is it? It, It's his desire, it's his pleasure, and it's his decree. God's will is God's purpose. And Paul and Timothy here desire above all that the faithful saints in Colossae be filled with the knowledge, with the full acknowledgement, the full discernment of God's goodwill, his pleasure, and his purposes. Church, could we be filled with anything better? (laughs) So very quiet tonight. Could we be filled with anything better? No. Could we give ourselves to anything greater? No. And that is what the Apostle Paul wanted for the believers in Colossae. And I don't believe that God wants any different for us today. I really don't. God's purpose is our purpose. His will trumps all other wills. I always worry about saying Trump when I'm preaching in case I get banned from the internet or something. But God's will trumps all other wills. His decrees are everlasting, and he is supreme and sovereign over all. Amen. Say amen to that. And Paul, as we can see from the final words of verse 9, desires that this be done, listen, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He prays and craves that God would give his people wisdom. Look, I spoke a few Sunday nights about Um, a a short series from Proverbs about wisdom. And Pastor Allen shared about wisdom and it's been taught and preached in this church for many, many years. What is wisdom? Well, very simply, wisdom is the correct use of knowledge. Sometimes you can get them confused, but wisdom is is the correct use or the right use or the appropriate use of knowledge. Knowledge is like having something to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it and when not to say it. You understand? You can know many things. We all know people who know many things about many things. That's knowledge. Knowledge is good. But wisdom, sorry, is the correct and timely application of those things that you know. You know, what knowledge without wisdom can be dangerous. We all know those people. We all know them. But knowledge with wisdom can be a wonderful tool in the right hands. You know, Paul also desired that the believers have spiritual understanding, wisdom first, and spiritual understanding. What's this? It's simply a spiritual intelligence or or a spiritual intellect, not a worldly not a worldly intelligence, not a Greek or a Gnostic intelligence, but a godly intelligence, a Holy Spirit intelligence, a spiritual intelligence, godly understanding, spiritual understanding. And to what end was this desire of Paul and Timothy? Why pray that the believers in Colossal would have all these wonderful characteristics and gifts? Why? Well, verse 10 tells us why. Listen, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering With joyfulness. Or, as another translation has verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit, all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Does that sound good? Here's the answer being filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Being filled with the knowledge of the will of God, his purposes and his pleasures, his decree and his direction, it helps us live in a way that will always honor the Lord. Is that it? Is that all Paul says? No, but you know what? That should be enough. I could sit down now. That should be enough. But there's more. Not only will it help the believer live a life that honors the Lord, but our lives will also produce every kind of good fruit. Paul says fruitful in every good work. And as all of this is taking place, as all of this is happening in your life, the believer will grow as they learn to get to know God better and better. What's that? That's a relationship, a relationship with the Lord. Paul and Timothy are saying to the believers in Colossa. When you, believers, when you become crammed, when you become full and filled with the knowledge of God's will, with his ways and his decree, your life will honor the Lord. The way you live will honor the Lord. Whenever you're doing God's will, your life will honor the Lord. That's it, plain and simple. But that's not all. Your life from that, from that foundation, your life will produce fruit, every kind of good fruit your good works will make a difference what you do will make a difference the good works that you do will lead to fruit in your life now as i was as i was studying this and reading this and thinking about things i was reminded of, of that passage in paul's epistle paul's epistle to the ephesians ephesians 2:10 we all know this for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know, you'll become like a tree planted beside living water, giving off and producing all kinds of fruit, good fruit, delicious fruit, fruit that is pleasing to the eye, that tastes beautiful, fruit that people can enjoy. And there's still more. You will grow on top of that. You'll grow as a believer. You'll grow as a Christian. You'll grow as a disciple. You'll grow as you get to know the Lord better and better. What's better than that? Nothing. Who doesn't want to know the Lord better? Who doesn't want to know and do his will? What believer doesn't want to produce fruit and be that tree planted beside the living water? Here's the thing. If you don't, your tree is dead, my friend. Your tree has died. It dried up a long time ago and you need to quickly fix it. You need to get some water poured on that. Paul says that ye might walk worthy. That you might walk worthy. That's what this is all about. You know, every letter, every word and phrase is calling the believer in Colossa and calling us tonight to walk worthy. Take those two words home with you. Walk worthy. He is worthy. He alone is worthy. Church, our walk must be worthy. The way we live must honor and bring him glory so that we please him. If you don't know God's will, start with that. Live to please him. We all know the passage in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Or another translation says, which is your act of worship. Walk worthy, please him, bear fruit, grow in relationship with him, be filled, be crammed full of the knowledge of his will, be crammed with it to overflowing. And you know what? If you need wisdom, ask God for it. Ask him for wisdom and spiritual understanding if that's what you need. You know, the Colossians needed it in their situation. And I can tell you something, we still need it today. We need it more than ever. Maybe even more than they did. Church, can I encourage you tonight, walk worthy. Say that with me, walk worthy. That's what we've got to do, walk worthy. Can I close tonight's short story? with an extended reading of of something I quoted earlier, and it's Ephesians 2 again. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Listen to this. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago.